0: This is pretty exciting, isn't it? We're going to have pancakes together. And you, as Roger said earlier, you're all super invited. Uh, and it'd be great to just enjoy celebrating pancakes uh, together. I've got some very happy memories of when I was a college student, just absolutely packing in as many pancakes as we could. On kind of Shrove Tuesday, we'd get together, a bunch of mates, and uh, we'd just have a non-stop one of these kind of production lines as we're, we're going through kind of pancake day. And um, many of you will know that the that the history of pancake day really is that uh, what it's all about is to try and use up the good stuff that we find in our houses to use up it's a good way of using up butter and eggs and sugar and flour and all these things before we enter the period of lent uh, which is traditionally a period of fasting a period of abstinence anybody giving anything up for lent this year yeah one or two of you maybe uh, sometimes people give up alcohol or coffee or chocolate or whatever and then um, I had a real sense as uh, Roger and I were planning the year out or starting to plan the year out together that um, Lent this year was going to be important, an important season for us as a church, to come back to some of the basics, to think again about this season, where, where people in the past and uh, in, in lots of different church traditions, they've used this period of Lent as a period to get back to God as a period of repentance, as a period of simplicity, as a period of abstinence, and really hoping and believing that as we think about some of these things, that God is going to work in our lives as we. Come kind of use it as a season to get back to God, to get back to basics for some of us this morning. You see, Shrove Shrove Tuesday is supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be a feast. It's supposed to be an enjoyment of uh, good gifts that God has given us but then after that comes Ash Wednesday, and many of you will know that it's called Ash Wednesday because in some church traditions, they literally get ash. They burn some uh, leaves or some wood or something. They literally get the ash, and they make a mark on their forehead. Why? Because ash in the Bible is associated with repentance. Repentance. It's associated with confession, it's, supposed to, it's, it's, it's associated with turning away from my own life and turning back towards God's ways. When Jonah, many of you know the story of Jonah, who was uh, called to go and preach to uh, Nineveh, and he went off in the opposite direction. But eventually, God got hold of him and sent him back to Nineveh. And so Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh, to the uh, Assyrian Empire, and he says to the people, "You need to repent, or God's going to bring judgment upon you." And at the sound of that word, the king we read in the book of Jonah, the king repented, and he sat in ashes. He sat in ashes, he sat in sackcloth. And time and time again in the Bible, periods of repentance or periods of fasting are associated with sackcloth, with this idea of of burning, of sitting in ashes. And so we have this time of Ash Wednesday where Christians still today will sometimes put the mark of ashes on their their foreheads as a symbol of repentance. And repentance, biblically, it's not just saying I'm sorry, it's not just giving lip service to something, but it's actually turning in a different direction. It's saying I was going in this way, but now I choose to go in this way. And so Lent is a period of, uh, of, of reflection, of confession, of slowing down. You know, in our culture today, we often use the word slow pejoratively. If someone's not very clever, we might say they're slow. They're a bit slow. Our culture really values rushing. And it values frenetic pace of life. And, and think about this. Uh, I read just the other day, and this staggered me, that the average iPhone user touches their phone over 2,000 times per day. Isn't that astonishing? You know, because we're so connected and we live in this connected world. And for over two-thirds of the general population, the first thing they do when they get up is check their phones. Check to see what messages they've got. Check to see what's going on on social media. Check what, what, these, what, what things are going on. I'm not picking on you if you've got a smartphone. That's great. Can, these can be great tools. But it's not a coincidence that the age of the smartphone is also the age of unparalleled anxiety in our culture. It's not a coincidence that the age of social media and being able to have instant access to what everybody's life everybody's going on is also the age where we're seeing an increase in people troubled with mental health issues. We live at such a frenetic pace of life and sometimes that frenetic pace catches up with us and we feel like I just feel like I'm getting out of control. Just feel like things are out of control in our lives. And I've got a real sense that as we go through this Lenten series that we've called, as you see behind me, that we've called Walking Ancient Paths, that as we go through this series together, as we think what it is to to think about some of these things of simplicity and repentance and abstinence and some of these things that Christians throughout the ages have found such nourishment from, that God's call on our life is, is to return back to him. So many of the things that distract us and pull us away from life in all its fullness with God. And this is a season to get back to some of those things. It's a season to slow down, it's a season to simplify, it's a season to deny self in the pursuit of God. I think so many of us often live with uh, such a such a rapid pace you know we live in this kind of 24-hour news culture and social media and iPhones and all this kind of stuff and it's such a rapid pace of life that we're going through that causes just a kind of low-grade anxiety just kind of causes us you know high blood pressure and stress and all these kind of things and and if that's you this morning our, our prayer is that as we think about what it is to walk ancient paths to come back to use this Lenten season, as a way of putting aside distractions, as a way of giving, some of giving up some of the things that are preventing us from pursuing God, as a way of simplifying our lives, as a way of repenting from different ways where we've become distracted or all, all these different kind of things. That God's going to use this to bring us back to the priority of his presence in our lives. That's our hope and that's our prayer. And so you see this kind of sense of repentance and the idea of 40 days. Lent is a 40-day season from uh, Ash Wednesday up until, I think it goes up until Maundy Thursday, not including the Sundays. It's a period of repentance, and it, it, it comes in part from, it's associated with um, after when Moses, we've been thinking about Moses recently, when Moses uh, was receiving the Ten Commandments from God, he came down the mountain uh, and he found the people and they're worshipping uh, this golden calf. So he smashed, the golden, uh, he smashed the tablets and then went into a period of 40 days fasting and repentance 40 days fasting and repentance. We see Jesus in the New Testament. God leads him by his spirit into the desert for 40 days for fasting. Jesus didn't need to repent, but it was a season where Jesus was simply living. He was living simply in order to to hear from the presence of God, to give up these earthly distractions so that he could uh, prepare for ministry and all the rest of it. And so Lent is an invitation, not just to feel guilty about all the things that we're doing wrong. But it's an invitation to simplify to seek repentance, to come back to God. That's our prayer. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to turn. We're taking this uh, idea of walking ancient paths from a verse in Jeremiah chapter 6. So we're going to think about that a little bit this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you or your apps or whatever it is that you're using, uh, and don't feel guilty. I know I've just hammered on about smartphones. I'm not trying to make any feel, you know, I know that half of you are just going to whip out your iPhones and don't feel guilty about that. I'm not trying to induce that. But, um, you know, anyway. Right, Jeremiah chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 16 to verse 21. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it, I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Father and sons together, neighbor and friends shall perish. It's quite a heavy word, isn't it? And I want us to unpack that a little bit just by looking into some of the context and some of the background that's going on as Jeremiah is prophesying these words. These words were spoken fairly near the beginning part of Jeremiah's ministry, and there's a guy who's the king at the moment. His name is Josiah. Now, Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Can you imagine that? He became king, and back in those days, the king wasn't just a ceremonial position. They were supposed to be the leader of the people, Uh, and Josiah was a godly man, he grew up he grew up in the ways of the lord unlike some of the fathers some of the people who came before him he sought the lord and he reigned for over 30 years i think as king and one of the first things that he did, or well, I say not the first things that he did, but when he, when, he, when he got old, when he was in his 20s, one of the things that he ordered was the temple to be refurbished. You see, the temple had been, uh, it'd been ransacked. They'd, they'd taken some of the gold in the temple to pay off foreign armies. They'd done all these kind of things. And so the temple had been ransacked. And so one of the first things that Josiah did was he said, we're going to refurbish the temple. And so he pays for the temple to be refurbished. He pays, and, and so the, the workmen, they go in, they start restoring the temple. And as they're working in the temple, one of the things that happens is, is the priests they find this ancient book in the temple. It's probably the book of Deuteronomy. And so they go back to Josiah the king, and they say, hey, we found this book. And uh, so Josiah reads the book, and he reads this book, probably the book of Deuteronomy, the law, the covenant which sets sets out how the people of Israel, how they're supposed to live in relation to God, and he realizes that a lot of the people aren't doing this. The the book of the law says you shall serve only the Lord your God, this one God you shall serve. Where they're doing that, actually the people are running af, after all these other foreign gods and they're serving them. And where the book of the law says, you know, don't build any high places, but serve God in Jerusalem. The people were running off and they were building altars wherever they wanted to, to worship these foreign gods. And so Josiah, he's he's this brave king, he stands up against the people and he says, right, we're going to do something about this, we're going to tear down those high places, we're going to get rid of those foreign altars, we're going to get back to God, he leads the people in a kind of national uh, reformation of bringing the people back to God worship, back to worshiping God. But you see what happened is that whilst all these outward reforms were going on, it's a lot harder to change people's hearts. It's a lot harder to change people's hearts. And so what we read here in Jeremiah is that whilst this is going on and whilst these national reforms are taking place, actually still the people of God, their hearts are far from serving him. So although they might be going through the religious motions, and notice this, that they're not, they're not completely disobeying God. What did we read in verse 20? What used to me is frankincense this sweet cane from distant lands, your burnt offerings are not acceptable. In other words, the people are going through their religious duties. But it's not just about their religious duties. It's not just about attending the temple. It's not just about giving their offerings. It's not just about what they do. It's about where their hearts were at. And so it's into that context that whilst the people, they might be going through the religious motions of looking like they're pleasing God, but their hearts are still far from him. Their hearts are still selfish. That it's into that context that Jeremiah, the spokesperson of God says, hey folks, we've come to a crossroads here. We've come to a crossroads. If you carry on going down this path, If you carry on going down this path, even though you think that you're you're doing these religious things, if you carry on going down this path, it's going to end in trouble, it's going to end in judgment, it's going to end up in a bad place. And for some of you, you might be in that place this morning and you sense it, you know it. If I carry on going down this this path I've been going on, it's only going to end in burnout. Burnout. If I carry on going down this path, I'm I'm ending up for a divorce. If I carry on going down this path, I'm going to end up in a bad place. And most importantly, if I carry on going down this path without Christ, without without walking the way of Christ, I'm ending up in a Christless eternity. And some of you know this this morning. Some of you know. Some of you sense that you're at that crossroads this morning. And so God is saying, as he did through Jeremiah so many hundreds of years ago. Look, ask for these ancient paths. Ask for these ancient ways. Look for them. Ask for what they are. But don't just ask ask for them and see them. You've actually got to walk in them. It's not just saying, yeah, I can see Tim. I can see that that's the good way. I can see that this Jesus-following lifestyle is the way to go. That's not enough. It's not just seeing it. It's walking in it. It's got to be obedience. There's got to be a sense of obedience there. It's not just enough to walk, to, to see the ancient paths. We've got to walk them. And so some of you might be thinking this morning, well, yeah, okay, Tim, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to double down. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to read my Bible more. And, and I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get back and I'm going to do those things. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think that's good and that those things are important. But we're not just talking about more religion here we're not just talking about more religion. You see there's echoes. And I want you to hear this in Jeremiah chapter 6. Just look at that verse 16 again if you've got your bibles. Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see it's possible to be so hard down the line of religion, so hard in going down the line of doing things for God that we become burned out even on the act of trying to please God. And Jesus, I think, probably echoing these verses in Matthew chapter 11, says, come to me, all you who are weary on religion. All you who have been trying and, and you know and you get that sense that it's never just quite enough. Come to me and I will give you rest I will give you rest. His way is easy, he says, but there's still a yoke to carry. It's not that his way is just sit back and let let go and let God and you don't have to worry anything else again. You don't have to work. There's nothing. No, the the, the yoke, and we're going to look at this in uh, coming weeks, but the yoke that Jesus carries is, come and do life with me. Walk in rhythm with me. Work in rhythm with Jesus. And there you find rest for your souls. It's not just about doing more. It's not just about attending more church meetings. It's not just about doubling down on religion. It's about finding the Jesus way. It's about finding the Jesus way. And this this Lenten season, I really believe, is an invitation for us to learn to walk the Jesus way. See, Jesus, when, when, when he ministered on earth, He had time for people, he he healed people, he taught, he did this work, he did all these things, but he did it in communion with the Father. I only do, do what I see the Father doing. He had time, he spent all nights in prayer, not out of religious duty, but out of devotion. This is the Jesus way, this is the Jesus path. And it's confusing, and I want to talk about this for a minute, because I think it is confusing, this Jesus path, a little bit. He talked about this way. He talked about what he was doing. He talked, Jesus talked about the destination. He said, I'm going to where the Father is. That's really just, that's just a definition of heaven, isn't it? Just being in the presence of God. I'm going to where the Father is. But the disciples are confused and they don't know what's going on. They don't know what to make of this. And so Jesus has to unpack it for them a little bit. I just want to spend a few moments just looking at those verses from John chapter 14. Just flick over in your apps to John chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 3. So Jesus is talking here about the way. He's talking about this path, this ancient path, I believe. So Jesus says, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, going to that place, going to the so eternity with the Father, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, the disciples are getting a little bit confused by this. What is this way? What is this path? So verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Now these may be words that you're very familiar with. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the path. This ancient path, it's the Jesus path. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Words that will be familiar to many of you if you've been around church for any length of time. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I'm in life, but just stop to think about what that means, because I think so often we reduce those words, and that we think, or we, we presume maybe sometimes that what they really mean is, if you say that you believe the right things, you're going to be in heaven with God forever, and that's fine, but it's so much more holistic than that, it's so much more than just a mental assent to a set of doctrines. It's living the Jesus path. It's living the Jesus way. He's the embodiment of truth. In him is fullness of life, now and eternally. It's not just about knowing Jesus. It's not just about knowing truth. It's not just about saying, I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth of life. It's an experiential. It causes us to experience this. It causes us to live his way. It causes us to know truth. It causes us to walk the path that Jesus walked. It's so much more holistic than just believe the right things and you'll be okay. So much more than that. And some of you, as we've been looking earlier this year, and uh, Roger was reminding us at the beginning of the year, um, that Jesus came to bring us life and life in all its fullness. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that sounds great, Roger. But where is this life in all its fullness? I'm rushed off my feet. The kids are screaming, you know, hang on, is this life in all its fullness? And let me just ask you this. Are you living the Jesus way? Are you living the Jesus way? You see, he had so many demands on his time. He could have been so hurried, so rushed, going from place to place to place. Yet he lived his life in a God-ordained rhythm. Time away with the Father, When was the last time you just had an all-night with the Father? When was the last time you just enjoyed breakfast in the presence of Jesus? You say so many of us want life in all its fullness without walking the Jesus way, without walking the ancient path. These practices that help us to know the presence of God, to practice the presence of God, and it's called practicing the presence of God, one, because it's practical, because it requires us to do some things, to make some changes, to put aside distractions, to fast from some things from time to time, to practice prayer, but also because over time we will get better at it, and as we practice the presence of Jesus, we will over time get better at recognizing his presence, and living in his presence, and walking his way. Faith is not just believing the right things. It's walking the Jesus way. And so I think this, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I think we can say, you know, Jesus is saying something like this. I open up the way through his death and resurrection. He opens up the way for us to walk the way. He gave his life for you to experience the life of God. He is the truth. He embodies truth for you to walk in truth. It's not just just mental ascent to a set of doctrines, to a set of belief. It's walking. It's experiential. It's doing it the Jesus way. You practice the presence of Jesus. You practice the presence of Jesus. We learn through some of these spiritual disciplines of, of, of prayer and of fasting and of simplicity that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. That as we do those things, and th- these are not supposed to be more religious activities. They're supposed to be ways that we practice the presence of Jesus. Ways that we walk His way. Ways that we, we seek those ancient paths. And so some of you are at, at this crossroads this morning and you sense it and you know it. And the those the, bits of burnout and low grade anxiety you sense them in your life you sense yourself being short with other people you know that if I carry on down this path it's not going to lead anywhere good this morning there is an invitation and this Lenten series I believe is an invitation to look for that ancient way Jesus said I am that way I am that way I love the the message paraphrase of Matthew chapter 11. It says, I won't lay anything ill-fitting or heavy on you. But as you walk my way, you learn, um, says Eugene Peterson, you learn the unforced rhythm of grace. The unforced rhythm of walking with Jesus. Of saying, I don't need these things to define who I am anymore. I don't need more and more possessions to say, I'm worthy of something but as I walk with Jesus just day by day, practicing his presence, learning through some of these ancient disciplines that we're going to be looking at. And most importantly, some of you are at a crossroads this morning and you realize that the road you've been walking on is a road without Christ. It's a road where he is not present in your life at all. And that A road without Christ leads to an eternity without Christ, and in a few moments time, there's going to be an invitation to respond to him and say, today I want to start walking with this path for you. Jesus says, I won't lay anything ill-fitting or heavy on you, but as you walk with me, as you work with me, it's not laziness, it's not laziness, but you find rest. When you walk these ancient paths, We find a way of of going through life in rhythm with the Father, in rhythm by his Holy Spirit with us. There's just a sense of ease. There's a lightness about it. And this Lenten series is an invitation to, to walk that light path with Jesus. For some of you, it's a slowing down. For some of you, it's a, okay, I need to abstain. I need to give up something. I need to some of these distractions that are pulling me away from the presence of God in my life. I need to say no to them in order to say yes to life practicing the presence of Jesus. Let's pray together. As we we start this Lent series, it's it's our deep desire that we would learn more of what it is to walk in the presence of God, to know the presence of Jesus, to know His way, His truth, His life, So, Father, I ask you this morning, just in this moment now, would you calm by your Holy Spirit? Some of us this morning need to do some deep repenting with you, Lord. We need to do some deep heart searching, and we know, we sense it. If I carry on down this road that I've been walking on it's not going to end well so Holy Spirit would you, would, you, would you come this morning would you bring conviction not, not, not guilt but the conviction just gently turning us back to you oh Lord I pray that we would know the lightness of walking with you Lord, so many of us know the the rush around lifestyle. So many of us know the the hectic one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And this morning we just want to we want to be open to your presence. We turn away from We turn away from distraction, Lord. Come to me, says Jesus this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary, burned out on religion, burned out on just trying to do it in your own strength. The Holy Spirit gives strength for walking the Jesus way and find rest. your souls. Find real rest for your souls. Rest that goes far beyond just sitting on the sofa and vegging out to Netflix or whatever it is. Find a real rest that comes from walking the Jesus path, walking the Jesus way. That's your invitation, Lord. Help us to walking in it, I pray.